Side note, <laughs> I have, so f*** you. Radio Drome. Welcome to a very critical episode of Radio Drome. I am Josh Hadley. With this being the last episode before Christmas, Cecil and Peter are off this week. But sitting in is a friend of mine, filmmaker David Irons, because this topic, I think having a filmmaker on it would fit properly. Say hello to the audience, David. Act like the trained monkey you are. Oh, hello, audience. I'm a trained monkey for Josh Hadley, and I hope you're all okay in sponsoring him and sending him Patreon money and uh, going to... What's, who's, who supports you? I've forgotten. AdamandEve.com. You go Adam there. AdamandEve.com. That's you, it, yeah. You, you go there, you use the promo code DROME, you get 50% <laughs> off of a single item, three free DVDs, a free sex swing, and free U.S. shipping, all for using the promo code DROME at AdamandEve.com. There you go. I, I do have to say, I, do, I really want to know this. The free gift is a sex swing. It's a sex swing. I, I okay. I've seen these in movies. I don't know how. Like, yeah, ever- I, see, I've seen these in movies, and they seem pretty big to be a free gift. I've always just wondered how, why. I'm guessing, I don't know this, guessing they have like a surplus, maybe they ordered too many and they got to get rid of them somehow. Fair enough. Perhaps. And they're free. They're a free gift with the promo code Drome. So there you go. So the reason I wanted a filmmaker on is I want to talk about not being able to take criticism. And let me explain that. So when you've got a filmmaker out there or any kind of creative type, a musician or anything, you need to be able to take criticism. I, I get criticized all the time for this show, for my writings, things like that. And it's not always positive. You need to be able to take criticism. You you can't just deflect it as, oh, they're all just stupid haters because I'm perfect. I mean, you might not want to take criticism, but you need to be able to listen to it. Now, I'm not talking about somebody going, your movie fucking sucks and you should get anal cancer and die. That's not, that's not criticism. That is just being a dick. Actual criticism is something you should go, you know what? Okay, you didn't like it, and here's the reason. You you are a filmmaker. You've made films, short films, music videos. You've made commercials. You take criticism, right? You have to take criticism. You have to. You have to. You'd never evolve from where everything begins if you didn't take any criticism. Because once you you when you make when you start a project, you're so close to that project. As it comes to an end, you can never see the woods through the trees. It's just a, a, a mash of things that have happened in your life, and you've put together on a screen and cut together. And it takes someone else to sit down, look at that thing, point at that thing, be a critic to that thing, for you to know what that thing is, and for you to see if there's any problems. Can I make this better? Can I cut this? Can I change that? Does the music need to change it, it, it helps you have to yeah i mean let's be serious you have to be pretty thick-skinned with most of this stuff because you, know, you you can't take it too personal you have to understand this is something i've created and therefore it's not for you it, it, it's your thing but it's for someone else and as long as other people enjoy it as other people want to see it that's what's important and i mean it doesn't mean butcher your own artistic integrity and just say right okay yeah take this thing and mold it into whatever you want it to be but you have to be able to you know come to some happy medium of okay yeah th- this is bad okay i'll take that out and then we'll move on and we'll make it good i'm not trying to say that people should make their films to please the critics that's not absolutely not what i'm trying to say nobody's gonna like everything i mean can you think of one filmmaker where you've liked everything like a george romero or a sam raimi or a Wes craven where you've liked everything that they've made no you can't nobody can it's completely impossible no no for me personally there's like periods in people's careers that kind of stand out like i really like the 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 late 70s early 80s brian department stuff and some of the stuff as it went into the 90s it was just like yeah you know this isn't really working for me anymore but there's definitely periods of people's careers where things have kind of shone and i've been attracted to it and they're they're films that i've kind of taken and become favorite films and that's pretty much it really but yeah there's i can't i can't actually think do you know know what the the only person who i could say has a perfect career 
was Herc Harvey who made Carnivore Souls because he made one film. And I really like Carnivore Souls. It's like, okay, yeah, you've made a really good film, but and that's it. But you never went beyond one film. So it's impossible to like everything by one person. But you get you get some people who try to feel superior that the, the critics, they just have to be wrong because I'm perfect. The critics are wrong. The critics are stupid. Or you get, and I'll, we'll, we'll get into specific examples in a few minutes. You, you get the whole, I, I, I love this one. I've heard this by numerous people who make garbage movies, like Adam Sandler's producers, things like, you know, people who make routinely critically hated movies that make tons of money. And I'm quoting, we don't make these movies for critics. We make these movies for the people. And I'm thinking, that is such a fucking dodge, isn't it? Hey, it made money, so that means I don't care what the critics said. Now, like I said, you should not be making a movie to please the critics, but you should also not go, I'm going to make a movie that's just going to piss everybody off either. Yeah, but I think that's uh, that's kind of like, you're saying it's a dodge, and I completely agree. And I think another part of that dodge is when people now, they turn around and say, oh, we just we, we just went out, we wanted to make an intentionally bad movie. And, and you think, well, and you look back and they, and, they, and they cite things from the past and they cite things, you know, like a terrible film, like one of those 80s films, schlock and this and that but most of those things back then they, they weren't made for those reasons they, 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 they were schlucky because they didn't have the budget but it was done by people who had some sort of heart or, or, or some sort of creative flair that I want to make this thing I really want to do this thing and, uh, and it just came off the way it did because they didn't have any money and I think to go out now and just say oh we want to make an intentionally bad movie it kind of softens the blow of any criticism and, and, and so if anyone turns around and says well this is shit oh, well, it was supposed to be bad that's what we wanted to do so they, it, uh, that never makes sense to me why you'd want to make an intentionally bad film it's just it, ridiculous except that's what people are doing now and they're using oh, i know well, well <laughs> but they're using this weird technique to try and get around it i've seen this so often the last jedi is the one who really cemented this but there's been a couple of other films that have done this and std star trek discovery aptly named std <laughs> they, they, they talk about this on the extras on the blu-ray as well we subverted your expectations yeah. That's the biggest dodge ever. Oh, you didn't like it? Well, we subverted your expectations of what you thought this movie was going to be. That doesn't mean it's good. Okay, if I go to a restaurant and I order a steak and you bring me microwaved macaroni and cheese, you subverted my expectations. Yes, that doesn't mean it's good. It's, a, it's, a, it's as much a dodge turning around and saying, I made an intentionally bad film. Look how schlocky my film is. It's, it's just as bad as that. And I mean, it, it ties into, I mean, we've spoke about this before, like the whole Goldbusters thing, where it was like, if you don't like this film, then you're a sexist, you're a misogynist, you're an awful human being, so you have to like this film. Fucking idiots fall for these things. Like, oh yeah, this is subverted expectations. This is why it's good. And it's just like, no, if it's good, it's good. Like, if you can get some sort of enjoyment and some sort of pleasure out of watching this thing, then it's good. Not because someone's made up some sort of fictitious narrative to go along with it. And, yeah, I know, it, it pisses me off too. I mean, the whole Last Jedi thing, it was just... What what was that? I, we could talk about that for hours. But it was to say, oh, yeah, this is good because we subverted your expectations and you got something that you didn't expect. But, yeah, it was bad. Is that, that, that's enough, isn't it? It's bad. But subverting your expectations does not necessarily mean it's bad. I, I've had numerous movies. I mean, go back to Planet of the Apes, the original 1968 yeah. Planet of the Apes. Seeing, go back to the audience who saw that in 1968. That movie absolutely subverted your expectations of what that title and that poster was going to be giving you. But it also didn't insult you or piss on your brain at the same time. Yeah, but that's the thing, isn't it? I mean, a film like that back then was, like we say, was probably made with some sort of sincerity. And you, you, I mean, look who wrote the thing. Let's be serious. You had some quality people behind it. But when it comes to the last, I mean, the last Jedi has such an agenda, like Girlbusters, like many other things that come out. It, it's it's dodging the bullet by adding that into it, saying, oh, you know, if, if you don't, if you don't like this, then you, you you're a terrible human being. Subverting expectations doesn't mean bad, but unfortunately, recent that whole phrase of subverting expectations has become a sign of something being bad because so many examples of subverted expectation films being bad themselves. It's, uh, it's just kind of the way it's gone. I, I'm waiting. Now, we, we only have the trailer so far, but we got the trailer for the new Hellboy movie, which let's just say is not going over well on the internet. 
I guess that's the uh, way we could put it. <laughs> because, you know, it, it looks like a Deadpool movie. You know, to me, I, I was a full minute into this before I, I realized this isn't a parody trailer from, like, Funny or Die, you know? Oh, my God, this is real. And then it's so obvious that this is Deadpool, Hellboy as Deadpool. The, all the meta references, the music, the way it's edited. This this is them going, we need to make this like a Deadpool movie. I guarantee you, mark my words, when this movie does come out and it's going to get just shredded by the critics and fans, they're going to go, well, we subverted your expectations of what a Hellboy movie should be. Mark my words, that will happen. Of course it will, and this is just why I said a second ago, like, it's just because, like, that the whole term, subverted your expectations, has just become a filthy term in the film world. It's just like, oh, you've done something terrible then. It's just synonymous with it now, because there's so many examples, and yeah, I, I, I saw that Hellboy trailer, and I did actually think it was a parody. I, I just, I, I, what's the thing with setting everything in, in England now? Men in Black, the new Men in Black, that's set here, it's like, are we offering something cheap? Is it Brexit? Is it cheap to film here now? Come over, come and film your crappy film here. I have no idea. I have no idea. But yeah, I'm, I'm, it, it, just, the whole thing with Hellboy just seems completely, it's a cash, it, it's a cash grab. It seems completely pointless. It, 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 and it does look like a parody. Well, then I want you to tell me as a filmmaker, when you make a movie, or even when you're making a short or something like that, I guess the music videos wouldn't technically count or the commercials in this case, but let's stay with subverting your expectations. Obviously, you want to give the audience something that they might not be aware of. What would you do? to subvert an audience's expectations versus what, say, The Last Jedi did? Um, that's a pretty tough question, actually. Um, what would I do? I don't think you can do... I don't think you would necessarily set out to do something like that. I don't, I don't... I think that's a really bad place to start, set out. I mean, I'm going to subvert expectations. I remember a long, long time ago, I was talking to a filmmaker, and uh, he'd, he'd... What did he do? He'd done a couple of things, a couple of shorts, and I, I don't know why this became a trademark of his, his, his films. But he was always making short films, and the baby would die in it. A baby would die. And then it was just like, okay, this is getting a bit much now. It's always the same thing. Like, you know, these really, like, the, the effects were good, and, like, they'd go to festivals, and people would be repulsed. And so he got a reaction, and he was like, this is great. I love doing this kind of stuff. And, and as it went on, his whole thing, just, you know, something to get a reaction from the audience. And he said, I'm going to make a feature film, and it's going to be controversial. And I was like, well, okay. You know, where does this go from there? You're going to make something controversial. Yeah, I'm going to make a controversial film. That's how I'm going to set off. That's the starting point. That's how we're going to go forward. We started talking and I said, well, how, you know, like you don't really, controversy creates itself. You can't really create controversy to have the full effect of it being a real thing. I don't think you can do that. I don't think you can sit there and go, I'm going to do the most awful things ever and make a really controversial film. And it be true to the, what a controversial film is. It just happens whatever a controversy like Clockwork Orange I don't think Kubrick sat down and said I'm going to make this film and it's going to be the most controversial thing ever I think he just made a film and added elements and it turned and ended up being a controversial film there's other films like Spit on Your Grave I mean over here The Exorcist was banned Texas Chainsaw Massacre was banned you had the whole video Nasties list I'm sure most people didn't turn around and say oh yeah we're going to make a, a controversial film they just made films that ended up being controversial I think to sit there and say you know you wanted to make a, a, a film I think if you made a film if you set out to make a film film that subverts expectations so it's a bad foot to go on let's let's leave the subverting expectations alone right now i want to look at some some people who use other dodges obviously we we have other we oh we do have the racism dodge this one was big during black panther when get because you know black panther came out shortly after get out and i didn't like either movie i was called a racist for not liking these movies and it's like yeah i also thought sorry to bother you another predominantly black film was the best movie of the year so far so yeah clearly i'm a racist it was but get out and black panther just weren't good to black critics they outright i have i screen capped tweets like if you don't like this movie you are racist that is such well, a dodge just, you have yeah. to like get out you are ordered to think black panther is the best marvel movie ever made but it isn't yep yeah, but it's, it, all it is is another marvel movie 
it's another Marvel movie with a complete with a different lick of paint over the top of it. It looks that they've changed something in there. Look at this in the mix. This is completely new and original now because we've changed this one element. It's not a white superhero, it's a black superhero. So there you go, you've got something new. And if you don't like it, you're a terrible human being, just like Girlbusters. If you don't like this because there's females in there, and it's just because it's females, don't worry about the crappy script or the crappy director or the crappy designs or the crappy CGI, then then you're a sexist for not liking it. And I mean, the thing is, I mean, it all ties in, doesn't it, completely to, to the... I mean, let's look at social media and, 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 and Facebook. It, it does kind of tie into that, because the whole thing with Facebook, once an argument starts happening on Facebook, it just becomes... Uh, the ultimate goal of an argument on Facebook is, I'm a good person, because that's the kind of the get-out-of-jail-free card. Because as soon as you pull, I'm a good person, immediately puts you in a box of not being a good person. Sort of the same thing when you say, I'm not a racist, but... Yes, that means you're a racist. It's exactly that. It's exactly that. And it puts you into that by saying, I'm a good person. And if you're saying that to someone else, it instantly makes them a bad person. This is the, and this, it's that kind of logic is trickling down into uh, marketing movies. And most movies are marketed online. And so, like, you know, you're getting tweets from critics and this and that. So if someone's turning around going, you know, you have to see this film, you have to like this film, or you're a racist. It's exactly the same kind of philosophy. It's the same way of thinking. And, well, but you, you have others, like, uh, there's a British producer. His name is Jonathan Slosscott. Oh, no. <laughs> I, I take that as a yes. Jo- no, no, no. Yeah. Jonathan Softcott. Yeah, that's the okay. guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go on. Go on. What, what, like, how, why did you bring that name up? That's uh, that's interesting. Be- because he makes garbage, and he has a he has great quotes <laughs> that play into this. I'm quoting from here. Okay, the response from the public has been really positive to my films, which is lovely. They seem to like it. The critics always rip my films to pieces. Someone said to me the other day, "Have you ever thought about how you're going to die?" I said, "Yes, I'm going to wake up one morning, read my first good review in the Guardian, and die of a blood heart attack." On, <laughs> on the other on the other hand, we don't make these movies for critics. We make them for the people on the street who go and buy their DVDs. People like the fact that it's something different from a British movie. It's not a football hooligan movie, and it's not an Essex boy movie. It's a grown-up action movie. We aim high, and hopefully people will approve of that. Unquote. He basically is saying, we make these movies for the people and not for the critics, isn't he? He is saying that, yeah. And, yeah, I do know that I had some dealings with him. I, I, I knew that, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm sure you did. I was like, I'm sure you know this, yeah. Um, yeah, he's, uh, he's, he's not the most reputable person ever, let's just say that. Yeah, there's, I mean, if, if you, yeah, Google around about him, you, I'm sure you'll find out. But yeah, no, he does. He completely admits. This is kind of why we didn't end up working together, to be fair. He kind of admitted, just turning around, and he's very interested in the script form, right? If this is done in, uh, you know, like, let, let's get a strong script. Get a strong, strong script. Get a strong script. Put something down, what we can film. Okay. And so we worked in that kind of area. But when it came to the actual production, oh, Jesus Christ. I mean, just the, the things that go on. I wanted to, I was said, okay, well, if we're going to budget this film, we need a cinematographer. I, I don't want to be cinematographer. I have been on lots of my own things. I said, I don't want that pressure if we're going to be doing something with a bigger cast and more people on set. And, uh, I was like, okay, yeah, we need a, a cinematographer. And I found a guy who did some good stuff. I, I shot that Netflix ad with the dog in slow motion and everything else. And Netflix and kill. Guy. Netflix and kill. That's it. Yeah. And, uh, I said, would you be interested in doing this? I said, it's not going to be very big budget. And then he was, he was like, yeah, of course. And, um, when I turned around to Southcott and said, well, do you want to, you know, I've got this guy. You've seen what he can do. It would really be okay to take him on. Like you're the producer on this thing. And he was like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, the budget for a cinematographer for a red cam, by the way, is, a uh, 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 it's going to be between 75 and 100 pounds a day. And I was just like, it's going to be what? Yeah, oh, well, that, that's, that's what it's what. I'm not paying any more than that. We can just go and get, you can just, you know, we'll get someone else with a, a Canon 5D and we can just set it up and film it. It doesn't matter. It, it, it really doesn't matter. But that's all I'm going to pay. And so I was like, okay, so a decent cinematographer has gone out the window immediately. And it just kind of, it, it, it was bizarre. It was like, why do you actually want to make, why do you actually want to try and make a good film? He doesn't want to make a good film. He said himself. Because it's just like a box and all the, the sides just start folding in on itself. And it's just like, yeah, this is never going to work this is you're never going to make a good film if you're working with Jonathan Sofcott towards making a film it's never going to happen it's, it's, but, but he seems it's not to gonna... be, but he seems to have the ideal that he is but he's making maybe not a good film but he's making quote what the people God. want 
Uh, well, it depends what kind of people you're talking about. If you're talking about people who, you know, bash their heads against a wall for about 10 years, um, I'm sure they would find some sort of entertainment in it. Beyond that, I have no idea. I mean, like, yeah, they're just not, they're just not good. They, he doesn't even try to make them good. He doesn't try to make them good. And like, he wants them to be good. There's an enthusiasm, like, oh yeah, we should do, when it comes to actually putting, like, coin to actually making these things good. Now we're going to have to put some money into it. Now we're going to put some effort into it. It all just becomes, I, I think the end goal is there needs to be a product sitting on that shelf. There needs to be a DVD case with a DVD slip in there. And it needs to say a title of the film. It needs to have a couple of names, actors that, you know, Z-listers, B-listers, something like that. But someone somewhere is going to recognise. 120 minutes. It has to be have a disc inside. And what's on that disc? I think that's the last of the problems. I think it, it, it just doesn't matter. If, if it turns out and it's half decent, bonus. If it's a pile of crap and you didn't pay much for it, bonus. So, you know, it's it's basically shove the shovelware of movies, which we cannot avoid the current king of that then, David Dakota, the man <laughs> who makes movies as shovelware. I recently bought, I happen to like J.R. Bookwalter. I've spoken to the man. Hmm. I've dealt with the man. I think J.R. Bookwalter is a great guy. You might not like his movies, and that's fair. I happen to think Horror Vision is fantastic, personally. You know, I, I liked Robot Ninja. But J.R. Bookwalter's book, which was written in the 90s, I recently picked up. Now, it's got a foreword by David Dakota. Now, you would think... This is a foreword to someone else's book, right? You might talk about filmmaking or something. David Dakota uses his entire foreword to bitch at critics who don't like his movies. <laughs> now, I want to point out, this is 1992 David Dakota, okay? I have no idea what 2018 David Dakota would say about 1992 David Dakota, but I'm going to read David Dakota's dodge from critics here, okay? This is 1992 David Dakota, and I am quoting, You see, small publications covering the horror genre have, on occasion, torn my movies apart. I guess that 42 motion pictures in six years makes me a little more on display for criticism, but the attitude of these he's quoting, professional critics slash editors, unquote, seems rather mean-spirited, almost attacking me personally instead of my work. It hurts. Are these genre magazine editors all just wannabe filmmakers? Are they jealous of the chosen few who can actually make a decent living making movies? The answer is yes. The bottom line is, I make a hell of a lot more money than these critics do, and I get asked to make a movie more often than they do to write an article. It's a lot cheaper to make a magazine than make a movie. You have you have less to lose. When the media uses valuable space to editorialize instead of inform, look out. What makes them think that their readers even care what they think when the weekly net salary of those readers is most likely higher than theirs? Readers want facts, not attitude. However, this is a free country, and the First Amendment gives you the right to jump into the arena and begin pummeling an invisible opponent. But the same freedom of speech applies to us just the same. Now we have the forum, our own books, to put on the gloves, hop in the ring, and fight in retaliation. And I don't believe in censorship in any form, but I'd never want to squash you from telling the world how bad you hated my movie and try to rally others against me. So f*** Cinema Fantastique and Fangoria and other magazines that don't like my movies. When the other magazines see my name on a video box cover, they should just not even bother renting it to, re to review. I make my movies for fans, not wannabe film snobs. This goes on for a while. He, he's basically saying, I make more money than you, which makes your opinion not valid. He's saying, I don't care what you think because fuck you, I'm better than you. And apparently makes bad movies and you, you, your, your opinion's not valid either. I just find that mind blowing. I really do. Especially for, for something like that, for just, you know, like an opening piece of someone else's book. It's just like, like I'd love to see what book, book water like thought when he said, Oh, you know, David, can you, can you, would you write something? Oh yeah, sure. And he comes back and it's just like a complete diatribe of everything around him that he hates. Like it's just, it's just absolutely insane. And I, I just don't know what. I mean, let's be said, he's made films that you've liked. I, like, I, I, I love like, Sorority Babes and the Slimeball Polarama. I like Creepazoids. Exactly. I like so, some of his earlier movies because he's seem to have been trying then current david dakota doesn't even try let's yeah. let's stick with this stuff so just that how arrogant of an attitude is that cinema fantastique fangoria whatever you didn't <laughs> like them. my movie it's because you're <laughs> jealous of me yeah that's terrible that i mean you can't you really just can't have that attitude that's it's 
it's, it's just not helpful in any way, shape or form to, to walk around like that. I mean, let's be serious. Let's be, like, you must know that there, there, there's an awareness to everyone when they're doing something where you can step back and you can look at things and you think, OK, this maybe it's not the, the best thing in the world, but it's my best attempt at something in the world. People are allowed to criticise these things. This is why you have an audience. This is why you put these things out there. This is why you have critics. But you can't turn around and just, you know, you, you're all wrong because i'm a genius because yes slime ball babes is great and uh you know creepazoids is great but you compare them to other things that was happening at the time and they're not as good as other genre films happening at the time i mean like uh, I, I, I was we were speaking the other day and i said you have found a, a pile of old fangorias and you go back through those things and you, and you go to like the, the video i of dr cyclops segment in the mid in the middle and you see some of the reviews that these films were getting back then uh and, and i know it's a review for silent night deadly night and they and i uh, you see so many people now, and you go, oh, garbage day thing with a sequel, and uh, people are, oh yeah, it's a killer Santa Claus movie, ha <laughs> ha, but actually reading that review from back then, it just put it into context about what it actually was at the time. And they were like, this is just trash, basically, you know, this isn't a, a Halloween, this isn't a Nightmare on Elm Street, this is a cheap knockoff in the slasher genre, and, and you kind of like, oh yeah, I remember when people had that attitude then. And I can see why then people would have said, you know, David Dakota film isn't exactly a high watermark of the horror genre, and, but the turn around and just use use someone else's platform to berate these people it, it just seems ridiculous to me it just it doesn't make sense why someone would do that well you also notice that he he went out of his way to say i believe in free speech and these people shouldn't be censored and then yeah, and then but. went and talked about how they shouldn't <laughs> be able to talk shit about his movies yeah exactly it just doesn't it, i think he just had a bad day i think i think i think, I think he maybe have gone down to a newsstand picked up a fangoria uh, read a review in the middle pages and was just like right that's it and unfortunately book court just said okay would you mind writing this for me and then, and then he just got a, a storm to, to, to put the front of his book. That's 1992, David Dakota. 28. He said he said he did filmed 42. That was 42 films. Yeah, uh, 42 was, films was, up yeah, to yeah, that yeah. point. Do you think 2018 David Dakota would would have that same attitude? Because now he basically ignores critics. He, he, I mean, seriously, he just he doesn't even listen to criticism from what I've heard. That you know the he doesn't I, I, care. I think if he did that now. I think if he had that attitude now, if he came out and said that stuff now, uh, I think it'd be beautiful and sad and tragic at the same time. It, 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 if he would stand there and try to try to defend uh, a, a, a talking Christmas puppy, cat, Easter bunny, whatever the fuck it is he wants to use this week and say, you do not understand my vision with these films. I, I would like to see him kind of try and uh, attempt to do that, to be honest. Uh, it'd be quite interesting. Please go ahead. Tell me about your artistic vision on these things. Because, uh, yeah, I've, I've seen most of them and uh, I pretty much think there's none to be honest. Well I, I think when it comes to David Dakota I'm going to play armchair psychologist here. I, I, I think <laughs> okay. I think 2018 David Dakota at least I hope if he has any humility in him at all looks back at his career and goes what the hell happened? During the last drive-in with Joe Bob, they showed Sorority Babes and the Slime Ball Bolarama. I'm sure he mm-hmm. watched that and went, oh, this was so good. Look at all the great lighting. We did multiple takes. Now <laughs> we're shooting six movies in a week and just shitting them onto red boxes. I, I, I hope 2018 David Dakota goes, what happened to me? Damn it. Yeah, but even during, I mean, I don't know if you remember what Joe Bob said about all that. He was just like, yeah, David Dakota, and then you made this, and it was back in the days when you could get a crew and put people together, and, uh, you know, David's still doing stuff now, and it was all kind of done, you know, a little bit nudge, nudge, wink, wink to the camera, like, yeah, it, he's still making something, kind of true, he's making something, but I think, I think, and I mean, uh, with David Dakota, I think at that time, I mean, I, I, on the Blu-ray of uh, Slime Ball Babes, from behind the seen stuff and you get like an interview from him on there you, you kind of get the feeling that, that when like band said all right come and come and direct this thing because it was it was a project that was already up and going because it was the imp wasn't it and he was like i want to do this this genie thing that turned into the yeah imp, because and then the, it turned the, into slime ball the, the, the way charles band worked back then was kind of the way corman worked in the 60s you come up with the poster and concept yeah. before you come up with the <laughs> script yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so it was a thing that exists. And uh, look, with band, you had you had a crew there. You had the cinematographer. Yeah, he had all these people. You had some good people around who knew what the f- they were doing. And so he kind of just plucked David Dakota and put him in the middle of talented people. 
And so those people around him was like, well, we've set this shot up and, you know, look, look at this, look at the lighting, look at the special effects, look at all this stuff. So he did his job and he directed it. And over the years, as the budgets got less and less and they stripped all those things away and he didn't have a cinematographer and he didn't have the actors and he didn't have all these people around to like pad the production around him, then you cut down to the core of what David Dakota can do. And it's a talking cat and it's a Christmas puppy and it's a talking Easter cat puppy or whatever the f*** else it is. And- but he's not the only one who does this. I, I've brought up these next two people before, but like Jared Cohen, he sometimes works for the asylum, sometimes other low budget things. Okay. The, the, the guy makes basically like six films a year. So you know their quality, right? Well, did the Koto, if you look on IMDb, cause I know now, like we said, it like this was, was up 42 when he did this interview, but now he's, he's like 137. He's, he's directed 137. And I think 2017, he did 10. And you think, fucking hell, like that's, you know, you, you're talking about almost one a month. At that point, at that point, you're just shitting movies out. You're not making movies. You're making filler for the shelves. You're just making, like, like we we're saying about the Jonathan Softcock thing, some of these other companies. That it's just something to sit on the shelf. It's got a box. It's got a cover. There's a disc inside. What's on the disc? Nah, who cares? Exactly. I mean, what kind of budget? What kind of budget do you need to have a good cover? You don't. All you need is someone, you know, competent with Photoshop. There you go. There's a half decent. It looks like a DVD cover. Therefore, it's a DVD cover. Put it out. You know, but like with Jared Cohen, his response to the critics is almost the same as 92 David Dakota. I'm making movies and they're not. Who the hell are they to tell me how to make a movie? Yeah, but are they really making movies? Because effort has to go into making a movie. You would think that. You would think that. that I, I, I completely disagree. You're not making a movie. You're just you're filming things and cutting it together. It's, uh, it's, it's like turning around and saying, I mean, let's be serious. Like the, uh, the, uh, the Doug Walker movies. Are they movies? Are they movies? No. I don't consider them to be movies. They're just things have happened and he's filmed and he thinks they're movies but there's, there's no effort put in there's no production design there's no cinematography there, there's, there's nothing they're, they're, they're just things and, and you couldn't turn around and say like if you're going to put one thing next to another for comparison you can't put together like you know something with a budget that's taken a year to make next to something that's been shit out in a month and say these are the same it's like, no, they're, they're really f***ing not the same. They're not the same. And it's kind of insulting to say they are and, and extremely deluded. And But you also have this other dodge. Your opinion doesn't count because you've never made a film. You know, like, you have to do something to be able to criticize it. Like, I'm not able to say the the cook at the restaurant is did a bad job because I've never cooked professionally. Or, okay, the dentist screwed my teeth up, but because I'm not a dentist, I can't complain about it, right? But you get this all the time in the arts, you know, whether it's music or whatnot. If you've never made a film, then you don't get to tell me. Justin Price loves to pull this one. Justin Price is one of the biggest hacks currently working in Hollywood. Did, 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 didn't you and him have some sort of beef about something? He and I, and uh, he had he, he had a beef with Cecil as well, because yeah. C- Cecil didn't like his movie The 13th Friday, and he went the fuck off on Cecil in a giant, no punctuation, like four paragraph long run-on sentence with misspellings about how Cecil does, doesn't understand independent film, and because Cecil liked Happy Death Day, his opinion's worthless, and blah 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 and then he called Cecil racist because Justin Price is black and if a white person oh. doesn't like his movies it's because of race uh, and he, he actually he, the whole Black Panther thing like, they say, oh you're not a good person see because you didn't like my film and you're a racist Jesus Christ exactly this is what Justin Price has to say about critics <laughs> quote there's so much to do before it gets to that IMDB critic who gets out of the shower, pops his knuckles, and critiques your film as if he's watched, as if he's been watching movies for 30 years. Side note, <laughs> I have, so f*** you. Oh, the IMDB rating guy. That's always fun. That guy or girl, or whoever, or whomever it may be, it's always the worst movie that they've ever seen every single time. You'll never see that in an art museum. I didn't just get a camera and jackass around in the woods. I'm not trying to be condescending, but it's the truth. There's a science behind it. Lighting, filming. It's a whole film language being spoken with just lights my point is they're disrespecting all these positions by saying oh that movie shit the amount of work that goes into filmmaking is so disrespected you'd never do that to any other profession it's awful it just rides my left nerve the miseducation of what we do it kills me i'm not knocking this is important here i'm not knocking real critics I'm talking oh. about those people who just who just come through. It's just so frustrating to deal with people who have never made a film, unquote. So what he's saying there is that he tries, which 
watching his movies would you, you, you might be surprised at that because they don't look like he tries you've never made a movie so you don't get to criticize me and also did you notice that thing about real critics real yeah, critics like my movie yeah. that, that, that's just insane i mean it's, it's it, you sit down and you watch the thing you either like the thing or you don't and it's he sounds like someone and you do get this a lot like in the film world and it's someone who's sat there and they've 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 watched a lot of dvd extras and they they've learned how to talk like a filmmaker and they say things like i spent a lot of time on this shot because of the lighting and the cinematography and the the mise-en-scene and and and, and they say them because they use the same terminology and they, they're speaking this film language that they've seen on dvd extras and, and so on and so forth they think oh well i'm part of this now because i say the right words and but they don't practice the right words and they, they make the, i mean what the f- is the thing called the 13th friday wow there's an original title straight you, you kind of know what you're getting with that straight okay away, I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna say this about justin price the 13th friday is without a doubt his best movie and it's still utter garbage. What does that tell you about his <laughs> other movies? Well, yeah, there you go. There you go. But it's kind, of, it's kind of sad because the thing is, like I say, when you, you go back and you, you look at these old Fangorias, and you, it gives you such a sense of what actually was going on in that moment in time in the horror genre. And, and, and you see things like uh, what was a low-budget film then. You know, you, you see things like Popcorn. You see things like Dead and Buried. You see things like Nightmare Beach. You see things like Nightmare. You see things like the visitor and it was like those back then were considered low budget films and and, and you compare them to what a low budget film is now and and, and it, it, it's like chalk and cheese isn't it you, you can't make that comparison because a lot of these low th- things that they're shitted out they you can't hold them in the same kind of regards as as something that people have t- you know like the, some of these low budget things were people's babies you know they spent like you know i really want to do this film and i spent all this time trying to get this thing off the ground to make it work and, and it's kind of hit or miss once they get out of there and it's, you're in the field and you have to film the thing and it's, I think that's a lot of difference from that to you see someone it's like yeah we've done one take it's good oh but the sound was bad it's fine carry on you can't compare these things you know it it, it really bothers me how you can just dodge criticism that I, I'm, I'm really hurt by that real critics thing because big budget filmmakers do this as well remember when the avengers came out in 2012 samuel l jackson had a big beef with new york times critic a.o scott and he said scott is not a real critic and then and then he said the 600 million dollars in receipts at the box office proves scott doesn't know what he's talking about again if you know it made money so you don't know anything yeah, but that's like turning around and saying, well, you know, McDonald's, they probably make the best food ever because they turn over millions and millions of dollars every year. So that's the best food you can buy because it made money. It doesn't work like that. It's a ridiculous, like, that, that's such a flawed argument. It made money, therefore it's good. There's lots of awful things that happen in this world that make money. It doesn't mean they're f***ing good. Johnny Depp and Army Hammer went after all the critics who didn't like the Lone Ranger, saying that these people had decided to slit the jugular of the Lone Ranger early on, and they were gunning for the movie before they even saw it. Or you <sighs> could just watch it and go, no, it's pretty bad. It's pretty terrible, yeah, that, that, that's all you've got to do. You just got, this is the thing though, they can turn around and say, oh no, real critics, but at the end of the day, you know, you, it, it, it just, I mean, like, you see this, this whole thing, I mean, like, I hate Rotten Tomatoes, I would don't touch it for barge pole, but like, you see things on there, where it's just like, oh yeah, you know, they're, they're, we've got the critics rating, and it's like, oh, it's fresh, and then you go and see, like, the audience vote, and it's like 35%, and you're thinking, well, like, you know, apart from these probably few paid shills, who, you, who you've invited under the, under your wing to go come and look at our film have, have a free t-shirt have a free this and well, by the way don't forget that review like they've gone oh it was fantastic it was the best thing ever and uh, y- y- you get that and then and the people who actually go and watch the thing I mean that's all that matters at the end of the day how much of a life some of these films gonna have hey. because like I was saying a, me- a minute like I was saying a minute ago about some of these older films we're still talking about them now you go back to this Fangoria and you, and you find these old films and you think yeah that's still got an audience now that's had a Blu-ray release and you see people making comments on page oh I love this film I love this film do you think in 30 years from now people are going to be going a talking cat oh, do you know what I remember when I went to a red box and I found that it was the best day of my life it was the best night I've ever spent watching no they're not going to say that and that's the, the longevity is the thing that's going to really say what these things are but we, we can't say that this is all just low-budget people. James Cameron. Oh, of course. James yeah. Cameron over Titanic actually went yeah. so far. He got into an argument with the New York Times critic Kenneth Turan, 
over Titanic. And he said, Turan was simmering in his own bile, engaging in paternalism and elitism, and insulting the majority of the film-going public, and then went so far over Turan's negative review of Titanic to try and get the Times to fire Turin over being one of the few people who did not give Titanic a positive review upon its original release. That's pretty pathetic. That's a terrible thing to do. I mean, like, you know, you, you do anything and you put it out there in the world. Like, you got to be pretty f***ing thick-skinned. you got to be a rhino to, 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 you know, turn around to you and say, you know, we like this or we we, we like it, we don't like it. you, you got to take it as part and parcel. Like, people are going to have an opinion on things. But to turn around and say, well, you, you, you've got to go. You're, 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 not, you're not part of the club now. You, you, you've dismissed Titanic. How dare you? Therefore, you're not worth of having a job. I think that's a completely terrible thing. Cameron, I mean, there's a lot of good and a lot of bad that's come out of Titanic, to be fair. I mean, like, you look at it and you think, as a mixture of CGI and practical, whether or not you like the story or not, what he did, CGI, practical effects, to put these things together, and the effort that went into it, there was a lot of effort that went into it. And you could, people say it was a game changer, and in a way, for good or bad, it was. I mean, let's be serious. Those George Lucas, have you ever seen the behind the scenes of episode one with George Lucas? And, and there's a constant, there's a constant uh, uh, obsession with like you know the other titanic titanic come out and it did so well titanic was we've got to be those titanic numbers titanic titanic and then when you look at something like uh, attack of the clones you can see that titanic influence on it as much as you can see it in pearl harbor where it's like it has to be a love story in space a big space opera with love in space and 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 you could get that in pearl harbor and it kind of and everything had to be three hours long and it had that knock-on effect but then when you get to something like avatar where Cameron's turned around saying, this is a game changer and you cannot argue with me. This this changed the game because it's got these stupid CGI blue people and everything's CGI and it doesn't look real. Therefore, it's changed the game. Admit it, it's changed the game. Give us money. We want to make six more sequels to this thing that changed the game. But it didn't really f***ing change the game. And it's just another part of the spin machine. But at the same time, you've got somebody... Do you remember when Gods of Egypt came out and Alex Proyas had that famous giant meltdown at Critics? over not liking the movie, which, by the way, is easily one of the worst films of that year. I mean, of 2016, Gods of Egypt is eye-breakingly bad. That, that's the thing where, like, everything's like completely CGI, completely... In, it just looks so unrealistic. It looks like a video. It looks worse than a video. It's that thing, isn't it? It's just... It just it, look, it looks horrendous. Yeah. That's, well, that's the thing, yeah. I, I, I don't know what he said, but no, I, uh, he, I'd, I'd, love to, I'd love to hear it, John. Uh, okay, I, I'm not going to read the whole thing because it's... He went off. Off. He called the film. The, he, he, he called film critics deranged idiots and diseased vultures who are less than worthless and not worth the time to have sat through his movie. He, he, he said all of the critics who didn't like it proved that rampant stupidity will always rule the universe. And this just goes on. And it's no, you're wrong. I made a fucking masterpiece here, and you're wrong. Well, I think just even looking at the trailer, you can pretty much tell that this wasn't going to be anywhere near the term masterpiece. The, the trailer was enough. The poster was enough. Uh, it, it just it just looked like garbage. I, I actually think Joe Baden, I, I've spoken to, and you know he made the movie that's it, it'll be coming out soon. But uh, you know critics have already seen it called The God Inside My Ear. It's a really good low budget movie. I think he handles criticism the proper way. I appreciate that you watched it. Thank you. I think that's all you need to say. He basically is like you took the time to watch it you took the time to analyze it that's all i can ask well there's a i found uh, recently i found this old interview with stephen king and uh, he was sitting there and uh, he, he said something which he'd never say now 2018 stephen king but it was pretty funny and uh, he was saying he got a letter once about a lady who bought a copy of salem's lot and she said this is the most disgusting revolting thing that i've ever seen in my life i've read that book from beginning to end i took it outside and i burnt it and he said that the, the best thing that old bitch did was buy that book have a reaction and and that's for buying in it who cares i've got the royalties that's a way to look at it but then yeah but, but then you also you just can't ignore it like i remember when i was watching the the documentary on the laser disc of 12 monkeys and you know terry gilliam is talking about it and personally i think 12 monkeys is a brilliant film is, critics yes, at the good. time 12 monkeys is seen much better now than it was at the time at the time yeah. it didn't go over so well with critics he outright said he 
he asked his assistant who's, you know, got all the, you know, the New York Times and the LA Times and all that, you know, she's got all of them on, you know, opening day. And he goes, just read me the positive reviews. He goes, I can't handle the negative reviews right now. And I'm thinking, <laughs> Terry, you kind of need to see the negatives too. I mean, yes, you might not want to. You can't just go, I'm cherry picking the positive reviews. No, no, I, no, I understand that. No, I mean, it, it, I mean, it, it depends how close. I think he had a lot of problems with that thing, didn't he? Like getting it out the door, the whole production of Which it. Which is why the fact so, that it's freaking it, brilliant it, it is even more it, of a statement. Exactly, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was sad at the time. I think what people were expecting, because you had like Brad Pitt and you had uh, um, Bruce Willis in this thing. And I think people were expecting like either a Die Hard or a Seven. And it was this like oddball science fiction film. I think that it, it kind of hurt it because people people had expectations and i think over time like you like we were saying over time it finds hey, the audience hey david and then, and david then, it subverted their expectations well, there you go we come full circle on that it really did there you go it subverted everyone's expectations for better or for worse and in the end as it had traveled through time and here we are in 2018 for the better can are we going to say that about talking cat are we going to say that about last jedi are we going to say that about Goldbusters? Probably not. But then we also, we have to talk about, now personally, I like the guy. I like a lot of his movies. Probably the most okay reaction to critics, Uwe Boll. I'm going <laughs> to fight you. <laughs> Literally. I I I'm not saying... I uh, couldn't believe that. I could, I remember, because um, let's be, we, we knew nothing about the guy. When, when we House of, House of the Dead was taken on the fact it was, it wasn't Uwe Boll's House of the Dead, it was House of the Dead. We'd all been to the arcade we've played the Sega game and then there was a movie that came out and I think unanimously we pretty much all saw the thing and was like okay that f***ing happened and to say we wasn't exactly impressed is an understatement uh, beyond that there was the other video game movies and we didn't know him as a personality we never knew him as a personality and I can remember going and, and it was just like oh god there's another video game movie who's making it Uwe Bolt oh Jesus Christ okay I remember going to a friend's house and he was like I've got something and you need to see this and I was like okay what and he goes, you know that guy that made House of the Dead and, uh, you know, Blood Rain and whatever? Yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, he's, he's just had a boxing match of all of his critics. He's, he did what? Sorry? Excuse me? And uh, I, I thought, I had a new respect for that guy after that moment. I was pissed at first. I was like, what the f*** does this guy think he is? But when I saw it, he's like, okay. Then it, it gave him a personality. And I think that helped give the films a personality as well. And it's, it's kind of funny. My old boss at Fangoria is one of the critics that he boxed, Chris Alexander. <laughs> <laughs> he, was, he wasn't the guy who was like completely f***ed up puking in the street afterwards. Was it, was I don't, it, I don't remember. I haven't seen the rage. I haven't seen the raging ball documentary in quite a while. But, but one, one of those critics, although he wasn't at Bangoria at the time, he was at Rue Morgue when all this went down. That's Chris Alexander. That's my old boss from Fangoria and from Delirium when I've worked for Charles Band. <laughs> Jeez, I, I just remember one guy, and it, you know, he was like, "Well, I'm just going in there to do it." And you see a picture of him outside in in, in, in Vegas, wasn't it? They did it in Las Vegas, and he was he was just out on the street, just puking, spitting out his mouth, God, puking in the street, just like, yeah. That bad idea, bad idea. Let's let's look at the Uve Bowl thing. Is the Uve Bowl <laughs> thing him not being able to take criticism, or do you think this was just a way for him to go? This is a great way to spin the publicity machine. I think it was. I think at first, I mean. <sighs> You hear the man talk about film, and he, and he obviously, you know, he, he has some sort of, well, he, he had, probably, more accurately, some sort of love for it at some point. As he got to make those earlier, I don't, I think those earlier films are exactly what they were supposed to be, where we're saying about their, their, their filler, their stuff that goes on the shelf. He, he they got were just like, big budget right filler. They were, they were big budget filler, yeah, but he was just using, what was it, was it German tax credits or Canadian tax it, it, credits? Um, for he, those things? He, it was, he, he is German, and he used a German tax loophole that allowed investors if they invested into a movie from germany then even if the movie lost money they could claim everything on their taxes so there was no risk the movie made money they made money the movie lost money they didn't lose a damn thing oh yeah well there you go it was so he was he kind of saw that and took that opportunity to make these things and he, I, I don't think with those first few i think was given to be honest i think they were just right, okay we're gonna make well like the whole blood rain thing from the, the first draft script you know that that that, that whole story where he was just right well, let's do it let's just do another one let's just do another one just put something out there and i think after doing that for i think after that 
And then the, the, the whole Raging Bull thing, he kind of realised, okay, like, I'm getting this backlash, and you think I can't make a f***ing movie. But then he actually did, a few, he did ramp, the, the ramp, he, he showed us, oh, no, you can, you can make a movie. No, no, he does I, know what he's doing. Not, not just Rampage. Assault on Wall Street is freaking exactly. amazing. My girlfriend did not want to watch that because she did not like, you know, House of the Dead and all that, and Uwe Bull. Yeah. She's like, oh, Uwe. And I'm like, watch this movie. And then afterwards I asked her, I said, if I didn't tell you that this was made by Uwe Boll, would you have guessed it? And she said, not a chance. Well, this is the thing. It's, it's kind of like, uh, you know, if, if, if it had taken a pseudonym for, for, the, for the for first few, and then, you know, like the Uwe Boll film started with uh, Rampage and Assault on Wall Street and that kind of stuff, you could, it's kind of forgivable. It's like there's this stuff that I did, and then there's, you know, the the, the stuff that I did. And, I mean, you, you get this all the time, like with uh, novelists and stuff, where they, you know, they've got pen names for this kind of genre and that genre, but their main genre with their name on is, is, is this. And I'm not sure... I'm I'm not sure if you can actually get away with that in film as much as you can, like, like in publishing. I'm not sure, but if, 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 there, if there was, I mean, if there was some kind of way you can separate it, it's totally worth doing because he's a very good and competent filmmaker. But I think those earlier, I think, I think possibly from having that negative reaction to that stuff earlier on, that kind of you know shot him out there to be like, you, you think I make shit films? Okay, then then watch this thing uh, where, where rampage where there's a guy just going around just absolutely like m- de- destroying everyone I, I i think that you know I, I think that kind of gave him the rage to make these like ultra violent movies in a way but then at the same time why doesn't david dakota take that same track he seems to be just the opposite he made good <laughs> movies in the beginning and then turned to garbage where uve bull made garbage movies in the beginning and then turned into a real filmmaker do you think david dakota can come back do you think there is still a filmmaker inside David like if all of a sudden somebody said David we're going to give you a million bucks and we want you to make something akin to like what you did with Sorority Babes do you think 2018 David Dakota would be able do you think he still has the ability to make Sorority Babes or do you think he is just going to be shitting out Redbox product I think now because he's done it because he does a lot of these lifetime movies, doesn't he? These kind of those things as well. I don't think they're the most challenging things like to, to ever go out there. They're just pretty much filler and product as well. But I think if he was put into a situation where okay, we're going to do this horror film and you've got like this top-notch cinematographer, we've got this top-notch producer, we've got all these people. I think if the pressure was on like it was with the early ones, I think there might be a chance, and I'm not going to say that you would get what you want from it, but there's a chance that you could turn around and like rise to the occasion and be like, all right, I'm, oh yeah, I'm a film director, and I, I need to make a film, or something that looks or sounds like a film. I think I think it, if it was there, it could be there, but I, I don't even think he would want to be put in that situation to be challenged that way, because it's, too, it, it, it's easier to shit out a talking Easter Bunny 3. Four, five, talking cat two, whatever. It's just easier to do. If he's making a profit from just putting filler on the shelves, why be challenged? What, what, why rock the bike? Why make the job harder for yourself? I'm a film director. Look, there, there's the, te- the ten films I've done this year. They're on DVD. They're except, on except I'm going to bring up you as, oh. a, a, okay, obviously I'm biased because you're my friend, but at the same yeah. time, <laughs> but at the same time, you look at even though... You can turn around and you can say, well, I do hate your films, okay. Except I don't. I liked Identity <laughs> Crisis cassette, or whatever, first of all, whatever, however that's yeah. ever going to come, we'll talk about that in just a sec, but even if I didn't, you've known me. I'm not going to hold that. How many times have I been Facebook friends with somebody who wrote a movie or directed a movie or something, and I've savaged it? And they're like, dude, we're friends. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm not going to hold back. No, it's true. It's completely true. I know you do. Like it's, uh, it's, it's you don't lie, Josh. You tell it how it is. It's it, if it needs to be said, you'll say it. I know that for a fact. So okay, I guess the last note then, which has nothing to do with the topic, but is cassette identity crisis other than it maybe having leaked out to the internet? Wink, wink. <laughs> 
is that ever going to come out officially? Well, the, the people that bought it had, had a seven-year lease on the thing, and I think they're about three into that. So there's a few more years yet. But I, I, I do you know, it, it, I've just used that thing. It's a complete write-up. It was a movie I made to help make other movies. It was something that I can show to people to say, have a look at this. This is I made this for a couple of grand. I was a cinematographer. I did all the stuff on it. This, this is what I can do. Give me some more money to make something else. And it, it works well for that. Uh, whether or not it's ever going to come out officially, nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Who knows? But nudge nudge wink wink i'm sure it's out there somewhere but okay i'm going to use this as an example and again i'm putting my bias out there look at you made cassette identity crisis for about two thousand dollars that is less by a long shot than what a christmas puppy or a talking cat or any of the 1313 movies cost and yet it has beautiful use of lighting and color it has an original score it has depth it's longer than most david dakota movies you don't just use natural light that whatever lighting happens to be coming in at the time of day you're shooting it's a real movie so how do you not get more work, but David Dakota does? I I I don't know about I, well. I can answer that. I mean, like the thing the thing why there's the things in there like you've listed like why is there you know so much effort put in? Uh, it's simply because because I put effort in. It was as simple as that. It was like okay, if I'm going to put something out there to try and get me more work, then I can't you know I can't put a pile of crap out there. I can't put something out there that looks absolutely terrible and sounds terrible. It's you know it has its limitations because it's a low budget film, but it had to look like a film. That was you know I'm a filmmaker, therefore I make a film. I think some of the problem of what you just said about what, how come I'm not getting out there to do this kind of stuff is because I, you work with people who have the vision. It just needs to be filler to go on the shelf. And like I said before, I optioned two screenplays. I optioned the, the Wolf Moon screenplay, which you've read, and I optioned the Nightwave screenplay. And some of the things that were coming back, you, you know, uh, saying, well, and I wrote these things to be made. It wasn't oh, like I, 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 I I've read things. some I've read some of the fucking notes on Wolf Moon and they <laughs> they just make me go what are you high right now note giver because it's yeah, like you're yeah. actively trying to make this a worse film yeah, that, it, it really did feel like that. And this is why I was like, I, I honestly just can't do this because the, the, the whole production of the thing was just getting worse and worse and worse, just get, completely going down the tubes. And it was just like, this isn't worth doing because if I have my name on this, I, I would just be another fucking shield just putting stuff out there on the shelf. There's no point in me doing this because it's not going to help. You're, you're going to make some money out of a DVD with this title on it, but it's not going to help me in any way, shape or form. So this is completely not worth doing. This, that, that was part of the problem. There was, I mean, like Night Waves, when I wrote Night Waves, the, the whole thing, and I mean, you've seen, like, we'll we'll talk about that in a second, but I did the whole, it's being released as a book. Like, I, I took the screenplay and turned it into prose, and I put it out there, and a publisher's picked it up, and this is the first time I've spoke about this publicly. I've got, like, a horror novel coming out next year. Go and check out John Hunt Publications, Shill Shill, Pimp Pimp. I've, and, I, I've, um, I've already read it, unless you've made revisions since the version I've read. No, it's, it's, no, it's, it's all done. It's, it's, it's going out there to print. July the 28th, it's, uh, it's going to be on shelves. Hopefully my pull quote I gave you is going to be on the cover. It's, it's, it, well, I know it's in there. I've seen like one of the, uh, the, the printed versions and you've got, yeah, you're, you're definitely in there. You're like, they, they liked it. It was like, oh yeah, this, we, we like this. This hyper sleazy 80s horror, uh, horror novel is a lot perfect. Josh, you did a good thing saying that today. But the, but the thing was that, that whole, when that was a screenplay, before I turned it into, into prose, before I turned it into a novel, and that was going to be produced as uh, as a film. The whole thing with like they're, they're, they're undersea creatures, they're sea sirens that, that rise up and then uh, they take people's identities. And my whole thing was like, well, there's going to be shadows, living shadows with glowing eyes. That's all we're going to see. And uh, I remember talking to the, the the producer we 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 named formally, and and he, his whole thing was like, well, that's just too expensive. That's just too expensive having these like living shadow. You're going to have someone in a full like body latex body thing with glowing CGI. So how much is that going to cost? That's going to cost. And he was like, no, no, this is this is really simple. This is you know the the the, the technique to do the eyes is that you get the fluorescent uh, uh, stuff from like a, a cycling jacket and you, you cut them out to eye shapes and you just stick them over someone's eyelids and you direct them in the darkness with a backlight so you just see the shadow and then you have a, like a, a white light a, a blue light sorry on of the camera so it makes the uh the the, uh, the fluorescent eyes pop and you've got the, the effect there no, no it wouldn't work it wouldn't work and i, and I except, except that th- th- that that's horse shit 
David, because no, I've yeah, seen the I commercial. I've seen the commercial yeah. you cut with your girlfriend in it, and she looks fantastic. It looks fantastic. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. This is, this is, this is, uh, it, it's just complete shit. And it's just, and it's, it's going to have so much money to produce these things. It's going to be CGI's, latex bodies. And it was like basically shadow, cycling jacket cut into eyes, stuck over the top of eyelids, and, and a blue light behind the camera. And, and, and the total cost for creating one of those creatures, uh, for the advert, it is an advert and it's going to be a music video. There's going to be a book with a music. It's basically got the promotion of a film, but it is a book. Per creature, it cost exactly, it would have cost about $5 when you work out. It would, it would be five for a practical effect, in-camera effect, that worked that well was $5. And I mean, you guys like check it out and have a look at this thing in a few months when it comes out. But it's, it, it, it just, it doesn't make, there's no vision with some of these people. Like you, you can do this stuff and, and make something look good on the cheap, but it's no, 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 no. Your idea of cheap is too cheap. Let's do it even worse and cheaper. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm not sure I agree, but. And I didn't. This is why. This is why you you can buy Nightwaves as a, as a novel, but it, it, it's not going to be a film yet. Well, okay. Then to end up, first of all, I hope somebody is able to get this episode of David Dakota because I would love to actually get his <laughs> criticism of my criticism of him. I think that would be fantastic. But I, I actually think uh, twenty eight. Okay. I, I think someone's going to be disappearing off. My, I'm actually friends with him on Facebook, so yeah, I think he'll be disappearing off the off the off the list. I, I think you need to be able to take criticism. I can take criticism. Yeah. I mean, like, look, let's say for the sake of argument, David Dakota hears this and he tears into me. He would have every <laughs> right to do that. But yeah, you should. You should. You just got to be, you know, grown up about these things. And it's, it's you got you got to kind of realize what you are sometimes, life, and some of the things you've done. And you know, I've done corporate jobs and I've looked at the things at the end of them, and it's just like Jesus Christ. If someone outside of this circle of people who is like an internal corporate video saw this thing, they'd look at me and be like, "Did you make this shit?" And it's like, "Yeah, I made this shit," but I can completely i'm aware that this is shit and so i wouldn't stand there and try and defend it in any way it's like yeah i know it, it is what it is and you have to be honest about that sometimes we do but we also have to be honest where about where people can find david irons where they can contact him and you know when will the ads in the video for night waves be out the ads and the night waves are going to be coming out it's going to be a, about well the, the release date of the book is the 28th of june from John Hunt Publishing, the wonderful people who bought the thing. It's going to be them, but then before that, you're going to see a music video, you're going to see uh, a trailer coming out, and th th there's lots of stuff. There's going to be some posters. We've got a really good guy to, to do some artwork for it. Um, so there's going to be a lot of promotion for this thing, and, uh, and a free audio chapter uh, that's been uh, really pro uh, professionally produced. That's going to be out and about. So that's going to be happening then. Before then, you can find me at metropolefilms.com and on Facebook as David Irons, me, and Instagram as David Irons Writer. And you can find me at 1201beyond.com. Contact this show at 1201beyond at gmail.com. Guys, try to be a cut above. Keep one foot in the gutter, one fist in the gold. Have a good night.
Radiodrome is a 1201 Beyond production. Find it and other great content at 1201beyond.com.